the International Door Association's DoorCast. The ITA DoorCast will provide news and notes from the building and remodeling industry and tips and tidbits to help you improve your business. Now, here's your DoorCast host, IDA Executive Director, Mike Fisher. Welcome to the IDA DoorCast. We're talking to you today from the Winding Bar Cafe, and we're going to talk about financial operations in the door dealer industry. Understanding your business financials is critical for survival in a hyper-competitive market in what we're calling this new abnormal. Door dealers should recognize the key indicators from the balance sheet to help them understand how to benchmark numbers and gauge their success. Joseph Roberts will give us a 30,000-foot view today to show us how to understand and evaluate the key financial data points. Joseph Roberts is the founder of eSquare Consulting. He's got extensive background in financial analysis and consulting for the door industry. Joseph, thanks so much for joining us today and being part of our podcast. Yeah, Mike, it's a pleasure to be with you here today. Thanks much. So before we get into the uh, IDA part of this, tell us more about your company. Uh, tell us about eSquare Consulting. eSquare Consulting is an organization that I was the founder of about five years ago with an emphasis and a focus on supporting door dealers uh, in this industry, specifically with the area of financial knowledge, understanding, and analysis. Today, Within the door industry, there's several key things that our company does. The primary thing that we do is we run and facilitate national peer-to-peer programs with, for door dealers. Those are programs designed to equip door dealers by partnering with one another to learn more about their business uh, and benchmarking their results and their financial results against one another. And we do that on a regular basis. In addition, we work one-on-one with many dealers across the country to help them better understand their financial analysis as well. And we also work with other companies in the trade-based industries where they are working and servicing and installing technical-based products. So there are several other clients and customers that we work with outside of the door industry. But a large portion of what we do is supporting members of IDA as well as other door companies across the country. Great. Thanks for that intro to eSquared Consulting. And obviously, eSquared is one of IDA's approved programs. eSquared manages Industry Insights, which is our financial benchmarking program for IDA. But why don't you tell us a little bit more specifically about Industry Insights and the services you provide for IDA members through yeah. that program? Industry Insights was designed in collaboration with IDA, working together to try to understand the needs of its members. And after lots of discussion and lots of conversation, there was a real need and understanding that where Dealers needed to be educated in terms of understanding what the financial ramifications of their business were. A lot of door companies, a lot of door dealers were leaning heavily upon their CPA or someone else to really provide them bookkeeping and accounting services, but they really didn't have a fundamental and and good understanding of how their financials should look, how they should use their financials to drive their business. And so Industry Insights was designed to help provide that education to the door dealer. And as a part of that, uh, that looks like uh, things we're doing today, podcasts, great, various publications. We are also working with webinars and face-to-face training at IDA events as well, with the primary emphasis around educating and equipping door dealers who may not be financially minded people so that they're comfortable and confident in the financial decisions that they're trying to make. Thanks for that background. I think that's helpful. It sounds to me like you're talking about really equipping dealers with the necessary tools to manage their business. Many of our door dealers started with a technical background working as an installation technician. So you're really just talking about another set of tools for them. Right, Mike. I, I say oftentimes, no, no one really got into the door industry because they wanted to do proper accounting 
or financial analysis for being in the door industry. They got into it because they enjoyed the trade or they really felt like it was a good opportunity for them, but not because they really woke up thriving to, to work on the financial aspect of the company. Well, on that note, we had another podcast with Dan Apple from the Apple Group. One of the things that he told me when, in our discussion was that it's very important for a door dealer who doesn't have a financial background, and the way he put it was a strong financial background, it's very important for them to make sure they have somebody on their staff that's not just balancing a checkbook, but actually can provide analysis, look at trends in the balance sheet to see what effective changes they can make to improve their performance. What do, you, what do you think about that? Is that good advice? I think that's fantastic advice. I think Dan, certainly with his experience in the industry I and mean, the things that he has seen is offering great advice to, to the members of IDA and to, to door professionals. I would certainly agree to that. I would say that if you don't have someone internally that's capable of doing that and you want to grow and expand your business, it's very important. Your CPA may be very knowledgeable at keeping you compliant with tax, may be very knowledgeable at making sure that your entries are recorded correctly. But a CPA often does not have the intimate knowledge of how your business functions and how the industry works. And so finding a financial professional that can be in your business to do that is very vital, I believe, to the long term and value of the company. Great. So, you know, where we are today, we're coming out of this pandemic and we've got good news and bad news. The good news is we're really in a period of growth. The economy looks very well in terms of indicators from the construction and remodeling industry. So there's growth there. Unfortunately, the bad news is we have some other factors restraining that growth, keeping it from its full potential. Things like material shortages, manufacturing backlogs, labor shortages, price increases due to the material shortages. How do those kinds of external factors impact the financial statements and the results of our door yeah, That's a great question, Mike. That, that's a very good question. I think that, you know, as you said, there are some very positive indicators uh, in the market, and those are very good, you know, tailwinds, if you might want to look at it that way, in terms of things that are pushing us forward. Yet, we're in rough and choppy seas. And so the way that we chart this is difficult. And from a financial standpoint, there are several things I think that we see impacting. I see a lot of volatility in sales figures right now and in revenue. And it's driven by external factors. It's not driven by backlog. Backlogs right now seem to be fairly high across the industry. So that is a good sign for the industry. But the revenue in terms of what's actually getting installed and the work that's getting done seems to be a little choppy right now. And that does have to do with the impact of material shortages. It does have to do with contractors have not experienced this kind of supply chain issue in well over 10 years. And so contractors, I don't think, are very good right now at managing subcontractors. I don't think they're very good at talking to you about what to expect. And so what happens is, is your financials look a little erratic at times because you have a difficult time getting things in, installing product, getting materials in timely. Th those issues where as a dealer, you're between a manufacturer and an end user or a contractor. And managing and leading in that middle space is very difficult. And the financial implications mean that sometimes there is a, a, a rocky road or a very difficult instability is probably the word I would use on the revenue side right now of that. But, it, but the backlogs look good. So that keeps owners feeling very healthy and very strong. At the same time, material pricing continues to go up. And right now, most door dealers that I hear are able to pass that through. That's not a problem. Customers are willing to pay for things and pay for services that are out there. And, and that's good for the door industry. But prices continue to rise. And not just for the door side, but 
all trades continue to rise. Warren Buffett, which owns, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, owns a very large home construction company, also owns Shaw Industries, the world's largest carpet provider, owns a lot of different things in this space. And, and in their most recent earnings release, he came out very clearly and said, inflation is here and we are passing it along and consumers are paying for it, but it is here and it is real. And if you see it in the construction industry, it is really, really an important part that people need to keep their eye on. So from a financial standpoint, that has to do with several things. One is it's going to impact your material pricing. It's going to impact some things that you may not just necessarily be marking up. Think about your consumable parts that you buy. Think about the things that you buy that are in aluminum cans or things that you're buying where you're seeing price increases on that, but it's not naturally marked up to the customer because you don't buy it. Uh, you buy it differently than the way that you buy doors and other products. Those are things that, that can sneak up on you financially. But I think the bigger issue that I see right now and things that's impacting benchmarks and impacting financials is really the labor situation. And it's we've always had a shortage of labor. There's no doubt. I think in addition to a shortage of labor, being able to get good skilled help, the labor pool as a quantity has diminished. And the rate of bringing people on has increased. So you're bringing in lower caliber people at much higher rates than have been seen in the past. That's one part. The second part is really relates to the pandemic, Mike, and how it relates back to maybe going back to a year ago, looking at the late spring and early summer of last year of 2020. And it is the inefficiency in labor. All of the roadblocks of getting into homes, getting into commercial jobs, getting into different various things has caused labor to be inefficient. And one of the hidden costs of COVID has been that when volume declined and other things began to fall off, at least initially before it rebounded, was that we did everything we could to keep people busy, right? We did everything we could to keep people moving. And what happened is, is your labor became inefficient. They weren't as efficient at, at putting product in, not because they weren't any good, but there just wasn't as much work initially. And so as we come out of this pandemic, focusing your benchmarks on labor efficiency, focusing on how much work are our people getting accomplished in a workday is an important ratio and an important analysis that you should be doing in your business. So those are a few things that are financially being exposed or being revealed as a part of this pandemic and the recovery. Okay, great. Well, let's step aside from the labor. I want to, I want to come back to that in a minute, but I want to go back to the backlog scenario. So I always thought having a robust backlog was really good for your business because you, it, it allowed you to predict what the next period was going to look like. So it always gives it, it's a way to, to buy time in your operations. The problem with backlogs, however, as you kind of pointed out, is you have to be able to manage the backlog to ensure that you're going to be able to deliver as you plan to deliver that. So that means if material prices are impacting that backlog, if uh, you're having a labor issues and productivity issues, as you mentioned from the COVID impacts, that's another issue. So it sounds to me like dealers who have great backlog shouldn't just say that's great news. They really need to evaluate and understand the impact of that backlog. Kind of like the dog who chases a car. When you catch it, what do you do with it? And when it comes time to deliver that backlog, you need to make sure that you have your ducks in a row. You also mentioned just quickly some of those other expenses that are somewhat hidden that don't get marked up. They're not really part of the invoice. There are other things like cost of fuel. A lot of our dealers buy lumber just to put up wood bucks, for example, in residential doors. So they're actually paying more for those kind of elements as well. So they, they do need to include everything that goes into that project, make sure they're not missing out on, on something that's directly impacting their business. So 
I think you've, you've given us a good poke in the ribs on that to make sure that we're looking at these things from a much, through a much bigger lens, right. I guess. Well, let's, um, so let's understand what you've just described is pretty wild times. And I think we all understand this, again, not overuse the phrase, the new abnormal, but it really, the rules are different today than they were a year and a half ago. So what should a door dealer do today to manage their financial statements and their financial performance during these wild times? Yeah. Good question. So going, kind of bringing this to the backlog scenario that we were just talking about, Mike, when you look at, you know, backlog, a few key things, and, and you made reference at the beginning about understanding balance sheet ratio. So balance sheet is your statement of financial position. It indicates really what is your value in assets versus what do you owe to various people and kind of what is your equity stake uh, in the company. And so backlog creates tension on your balance sheet. And, and it does in a few different ways. And some of those benchmarks that I always encourage people to look at is what is your cash conversion cycle? And that is a that is a method of understanding how long it takes you to collect money, how long you hold on to inventory, and you adjust that for how long it takes you to pay your suppliers. So in an age where backlog is expanding, Mike, it is vital that you understand how long are you holding on to inventory? So let's say, for example, you're buying something for a project or for a job, and that job gets delayed because another contractor is having difficulty with supply chain. Concrete, steel, lumber, all of these things may cause delays prior to the doors coming in. Timing your purchases and understanding when you're buying materials and couple that with extended lead times coming from, from manufacturers. So you're saying, I got to order it now because it's going to take a while to get here. Then you may have to sit on it for a while before the contractor can take it. That is extending in this in your cash conversion cycle, your inventory days, how long you're holding on to inventory. Now think about how long you have to hold the inventory and when do you have to pay for it. If you have to pay for that inventory well before you're able to sell it, your cash conversion cycle begins to extend. And that can cause you to have difficult or out of whack ratios that you're looking to have there. So when you're thinking about how much inventory should I carry? How long should I carry it? When should I pay my supplier? And how long is it going to take me to collect invoice and collect that money? When backlog gets out of whack and supply chain is out of whack, those cash conversion cycle times tend to expand, right? Which requires you to be much more disciplined with your use of cash. That is something that these wild times are, are putting pressure on. And if you're not careful, you could get in a situation where you're overextended on material purchases with no ability to collect. In the, in the near term to cover for those costs. So that's something I would be paying uh, big attention to, and that pertains to, to backlog. Uh, that is definitely a benchmark I will be looking at is your cash conversion cycle. So on that note, we actually have another episode of the IDA DoorCast with Brenton Cheney, who is IDA's current president. And what we were talking about with Brenton was how the use of just-in-time inventory strategies for door dealers has really come under scrutiny in the last 15 months or so because of those supply chain issues. So that's a whole other discussion about how dealing with those inventory costs work, how they don't work, what happens when your supply chain is disrupted. If you're relying on a distribution center for a local product that all of a sudden dries up, that creates other pressures on your sales team. So you did mention, you know, you have to manage backlog properly. How do you recommend that dealers include backlog in terms of looking at their financial information? Should that be tracked as part of their financial statement or is it kept separately? 
What do you, uh, you need elements of your financial statements to capture your backlog. It's not, it's not a number you can pull off of your financial statement. There are elements that you can identify on your financial statement, whether it be material purchases, that's something that will give you an indication of backlog. Your accounts payables, what do you owe to your vendors? That's an indication of backlog. Deposits received is an indication of backlog. But backlog is by nature not an item that you find on a financial statement, but you do need those. I would highly recommend for, for our members of this industry and for everyone in this industry to come up with a calculation for backlog. And they should be keeping that calculation at all times. I think it's something that they should be looking at. And I would also recommend for a commercial organization, I think dollars are sufficient. I think managing backlog and dollars is sufficient. For residential organization, primarily a retail-based organization or, or even one that's working on the builder side, I think they should keep that backlog in units because units ultimately is what gets installed. And I think that is important that you understand what is my capacity and what am I buying? So they need dollars and units. But backlog is calculated by what is the beginning backlog of work that I have in a given month? What of that backlog did I sell or install? So that's a reduction. And then you can look at what orders did I add for this month, right? And then that's my ending backlog for the month. You roll that to the next month, beginning backlog for the next month is the ending backlog from the prior month. And you roll that same thing forward, creating a simple schedule like that, that allows for you to do it and to monitor. I would add one other thing to that right below your backlog calculation. I would add below that, what capacity do I have to install that? And that really leads to our labor discussion, right? What capacity do I have to install this backlog? And how long does this backlog live for me if I could continue to install uh, at the rate that I'm doing now? So those are those are the things. And the same works for service, right? Service turns a little bit faster, but I'm hearing repeatedly that people are out on service. People, people used to be able to get to service in a couple of days. Some people are out four, five, six days on service right now, which is not good for customers and is not good for the image you're trying to put forth in the market. It sounds like there is a definite impact from sales operations on what we're talking about on the financial side. And I think to your point, those need to be connected somehow. On the question of service, we do know door dealers will perform triage on the incoming service backlog. So you have a, a door that's then damaged where it's not operable. Mine still works, but it's dinged up. You get prioritized because you have a greater security issue than I do. So I think there are ways for door dealers to address the service side of that, probably a little easier. On the product sales side, it does get trickier. So I think we at some point maybe could have a whole other discussion about how to manage the selling to the finance process and, and that period in between. So hold that thought. That might be a subject for a future IDA doorcast. All right. So it sounds like we have a plan. If we're following our financial plan, it sounds like a dealer can manage their business better. And you mentioned in our discussion a couple of benchmarks. As we look back to the labor discussion, what are the specific benchmarks or key indicators that maybe you can give us from the top right. of your head there? Yeah, one one benchmark, and this is not necessarily financial, but it certainly dr drives it. Historically, service and trade-based companies that are in the service and field operations space have always been shooting for a benchmark of two to one. And the two to one ratio here is for every one office or overhead headcount that you have, you have two field operations people. And that's difficult um, at times. That's hard to get to. And that is for a variety of reasons, which we can talk about. But that's an important ratio. And I would encourage kind of coming out of this pandemic and going into this great market that's out there that people shoot for this, continue to drive 
for a two to one ratio. And what that's going to do is some key benchmarks that you'll hear me say over and over and over again. And the listeners of this podcast, if they know me well, I could pause for a moment and they can repeat back to you what I'm about to say without me having to say it. And that is every business should start with the idea that 40, 30, 10, 40 percent of your revenue should be generating gross profit. 30 percent of your revenue should be covering overhead and the remaining should be a 10 percent bottom line. Our industry is not there as a whole. Our industry is not making that as a whole. And it has a variety of reasons. But if you want to begin to move yourself in the direction of being a great door company financially, those are benchmarks you need to be hitting. So how does labor tie to that? The two to one ratio means that you are limiting by forcing yourself to put more people in the field as a percentage or a ratio. It's helping you to manage your overhead expenditures. It's helping you to make sure that your overhead expenditures don't get higher than they need to get. Oftentimes, when volume picks up in the door industry, the office begins to get overwhelmed. People begin to not know what to do. And the natural response is to hire somebody else in the office. Hire someone to answer the phone. Hire someone to buy materials. Hire someone to handle this problem or this problem or this problem. Focusing heavily on that to make sure that that doesn't get out of whack or that doesn't get out of line so that you are keeping focus on this two to one ratio will help to ensure that you are getting closer and closer to this 40% gross profit, 30% overhead as a percentage of revenue, netting 10% to the bottom line. So that, that two to one ratio really does drive that. Another thing I'd encourage you to look at is your labor as a percentage of your total revenue. When I mean labor, I mean your direct labor, the fully burdened cost of your wages to your technicians and your installers. Looking at that as a percentage of revenue can vary dramatically depending upon whether or not you are a residential service-based company, a residential builder company, a commercial service company, or a commercial installation company. That number can vary a lot. I'm more concerned with the 40% gross profit margin than I am necessarily that number, but I am concerned in door dealers about the consistency of that number. Making sure that if that number is out of line, it's preventing you from getting to your 40% that you're looking at that. If that number, if you are achieving 40% gross profit and your labor is good, making sure that you keep those ratios in line is very important to ensuring that you maintain that level of gross profit. Great. It sounds like you have developed a way to do kind of a system of checks and balances, not just relying on one set of numbers, but validating it through another viewpoint and taking another look at it. And you also did mention that, you know, the type of work that a specific dealer does may cause some changes in, in how those ratios work out. But what for me, that two to one ratio means that is if I need to add someone in the administrative side of my business, I better think about how I'm going to grow the revenue to compensate for that. And in your model, that means I, if I'm hiring a new warehouse manager, I better have two more field techs out there to compensate, or I better have a plan to make that happen and grow the business. Mike, the first, the very first thing I do when someone calls me, a client calls me or someone says, hey, we're struggling. We don't really understand what's happening in this area of our business. We feel like we need to hire somebody else to take care of this because we don't do it very well. I, I get that call quite a bit. The first thing I do is I say, do you know what kind of revenue you need to generate to pay for that person, right? And we have that conversation. We talk about that. And, and to, you, to your point, Mike, it's important. That's the first thing I ask before we talk about uh, what is the job, what is everything else? It's, you know, are you prepared for the revenue increase it's going to take to cover the break even on that new person? And what does that mean for your business going forward? And, and, and we're having that conversation early, not well after they've determined that the person is needed. But we're having that conversation early 
in setting a seed for that that discussion. So Joseph, you kind of teased me there a little bit when you mentioned dealers calling you and saying, we're struggling, help us. So just between us here, give me some horror stories. What are some examples of some of the big mistakes you've seen made? Yeah, I mean, some of them aren't necessarily mistakes. Some of them are good things. So, you know, horror stories oftentimes turn out to be, you know, grateful and, and delightful endings. You know, I, uh, I find that technician wages right now is, is a conversation I have a lot, a, a lot, and very frequently, the need to keep good people Multiple times a week right now in the spring and summer of 2021, I am getting phone calls about, should I just pay them what, they, what they're asking? Can I just give them a, a flat increase? And I hear that you know, quite a bit. I, somebody mentioned to me the other day that when Taco Bell is paying a $1,500 signing bonus for people to go to work, we're at a disadvantage when it comes to hiring people, just in terms of what, what we have to pay them. We give small payouts for referrals, right? Um, whereas Taco Bell is going to give a signing bonus of $1,500 to, to someone working a drive-through. And, and that's because the labor pool is needed. That's something that, that I hear quite a bit. I also find that one of the stories that I hear oftentimes is the story of contractors right now. You know, the contractor told me it was ready. They told me it was ready. They told me it was ready. And, and it's not. I, I hear that quite a bit uh, from people that are doing work with contractors. And the con- as I said in the beginning, contractors are not, they're not used to this either. And I think they're optimistic that things are going to be pushed through and no one wants to raise a flag that says I'm unable to meet my timeline or my deadline. And it just creates additional pressure. And I, I've heard that that quite frequently. But those are a few things that I have heard some stories over and over again. Uh, the labor market continues to be absolutely challenging and it's not so much on the help side. That still has always been around. It is people going out with three pay increases, three scheduled pay increases since December, right? And they're paying technicians and they just have to. There's no other choice. And you talk about a horror story that initially, that's that's a difficult pill to swallow is just having to pay technicians more. But that that's a real one. That's, that's the biggest horror story that I hear. And the good news is, is the market can bear those price increases. Right? I think there's a huge opportunity to to ride the wave of, of inflation where we can for, for price increases. This is a great opportunity for our industry to do that. And, and I've, I've heard of good strategic uh, ways of people doing that. And it's been very nice to hear that they're taking advantage of this opportunity. I actually have heard dealers say it's a good thing that our lead times from our suppliers are being stretched out because if they delivered it to me, I would have to pay for it. And there is no way I can get it installed because of the labor shortage that we're dealing with right now. So again, on the good news, bad news front. So now that we've kind of torn apart the balance sheet and some of the other key indicators that are part of this, as we come out of the pandemic, as we, as we fully emerge into this new abnormal, what should dealers be looking for ahead? What's going to happen next that's going to influence their success and their financial performance? Great question. I think the inflation one is the most immediate thing to be paying attention to. You know, I, I wouldn't I would be planning for a rainy day here a little bit. I think the market is very hot and it's very good. I would be prepared for what does inflation mean to our industry? And is there a little bit of a uh, tidal wave, maybe a, a, a hard a hard phrase to use, but this idea that you know there's a groundswell of something that's coming and does it hit us hard? I, I think you should be prepared for inflation. And what, what that means is, is taking an honest look at your pricing right now. That, that would be a big thing that they need to be looking at and looking at where should we be pricing and what, what should we be charging for the services that we offer. And um, I will tell you, other trades are doing that. Other trades are, are really assessing 
They're not trying to squeeze margins to keep business. They're trying to expand pricing because that's what the market is, is demanding right now. Another thing that I think uh, they should be looking at is how do we invest appropriately in, in our people and in our organization? How, how do we make sure and ensure that we're keeping good people? Which means you're going to have to go through some things, performance reviews, assessing productivity, looking at what those wage increases you know, look like financially, and continuing to be mindful of cash, continuing to be mindful of how do you manage your cash cycle while backlogs are extending? How are you paying your vendors? Where are you ordering materials? How are you making sure that contracts have language in there that protects you against some of these financial issues or inflationary discussions? Those are things that are really important. So I, I would say those are some things that as they're looking out on the horizon, as they are looking out over the next you know, six to 12 months, focus on pricing, focus on ensuring that your labor pool is well compensated and that you are charging appropriately for that and continue to monitor your cash conversion cycle to ensure that you are where you should be and that you're able to sustain the cash flow that you need. Somebody once told me, a finance friend of mine in the door industry once told me, he said, and he just reminded me, this was news that wasn't necessarily news, but this person reminded me that profitable businesses oftentimes go bankrupt and profitable businesses go bankrupt because they don't have good cash planning. They make good money on the bottom line, but they don't manage their cash flow well. And volatility in supply chain, volatility in construction timelines is one of the quickest ways to get yourself in a cash situation. So taking your financial data and turning that into financial projections and actually looking to the future, that's one way to ensure that you'll continue to be successful and maybe avoid unpleasantries in the future. So the question I have for you when you talk about cash conversion, what if I I'm a door dealer who typically stocks a significant amount of residential product. And I know earlier you talked about converting inventory into cash. If I'm pretty certain that there are going to be price increases, for example, if I think it's very likely based on what we're hearing about steel prices and labor shortages, should I increase my inventory or should I leave the money in the bank in times of inflation, knowing that the money may not be worth tomorrow what it's worth today and the doors are going to go up in value? I, I would say if you know your numbers well and you understand what your customer is asking for, and you have a good way of ensuring that you don't order too much if you have good inventory tracking mechanisms, I would encourage you to buy the inventory. I think it's a smart decision. I think just because you have the cash to buy it doesn't mean you have the organization and the departments and the functionalities in place to manage it. What happens when you get too much inventory? Well, you lose things, things get stolen, things Things like that happen. And so the question is, do you have inventory controls and things in place? I think it's a great idea, but it doesn't come without another set of challenges. And of course, there always is damage and loss in other ways. The more you move things, the more likely they are to get damaged. So holding excess inventory requires things to be moved, things to be shuffled around, and that can be expensive. I think that question I asked you is something that door dealers ask themselves every year at the end of the year. What I'm hearing is that knowledge is power. So it sounds like a door dealer should know what they know. They should make sure they have the right personnel helping them from a financial perspective on the analysis side. They should also make sure they understand their sales process, inventory controls, and a lot of the operational things that feed into the balance sheet. And the balance sheet actually ends up being kind of a report on how you manage all these operations. So it should not necessarily be viewed as just a piece of paper with numbers on it, but it should reflect back to how you manage your business. And I know that's 
that's an important piece of this. So, so Joseph, I got to tell you, this has been a kind of an interesting dive into some of the financial side of things. But you know, before we close, I want to ask you about your involvement specifically with with IDA as an approved program. Remind our listeners about how E Square Consulting through Industry Insights is helping our members and and the best way for them to take advantage of your program offerings. Right. So, you know, you mentioned earlier the importance of forecasting. Um, you know, currently. Uh, IDA is offering a, uh, a CEU grab or an opportunity to get some more information about and more knowledge and training. As a part of that, we'll be doing a three-part series, uh, one-part recap on primarily on the idea of forecasting. How do we forecast our business going forward? And what are some what are some principles and what are some tools that we need to do that? So I would encourage members to to listen to that, to go grab that. They can probably find that on doors.org. The information associated with it going to be great resources associated with financial planning uh, and analysis. So that's that's a big part of it as well. And those are programs that are offered through ID, IDA. For those of you that are members, uh, this is something that's available to you to get some more intel and understanding about financial forecasting, financial planning. And that's been the emphasis of what we're going to be working on this year, 2021, with the Industry Insights Program through IDA. And that is that we'll be focusing on how do we adequately prepare and how do we adequately forecast for our businesses going forward? I have to tell you, Joseph, if I were a door dealer today, I would probably be calling you up to talk to you about the peer-to-peer program. The peer-to-peer program kind of caught my interest. So that's another discussion for another day. I look forward to hearing more about that. So as we get ready to close today's session, I'm going to ask you, how can our members get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, the easiest way to get in touch is to you know find us on the internet. That's how we find everything nowadays, right? You can find us at esquaredconsultants.com. You can also go to doors.org. There's some information on there under the member services section as to how to how to contact us or find anyone there um, there there in the uh, IDA office. I'm sure they they can put you in contact uh, with us as well. We're pretty accessible there. Uh, finding us on the internet is the easiest way. We have a way that you can reach out to us with a question or um, with something specific that you're looking for, and we'll get back to you on that. But we love to talk to door dealers. We talk to them all the time. Those, those calls are welcome, and the discussions are, are really fun to hear and to have. And so look forward to hearing more from members, hearing more about how we can support them and how they can utilize Industry Insights, which is a program available and exclusive to members to get the financial education. Thanks, Joseph. So I'll just throw an email address out there for everyone who's listening. Don't forget, if you can't find eSquare Consulting and you want to talk to Joseph Roberts, send a note to info at doors.org and we'll put you in touch. Joseph, thanks so much for coming on today. This has been a fascinating discussion. I love to get into these kind of issues and see how the rubber meets the road can pay off in terms of success for our members. Thanks for coming on and thanks for your continued participation with Industry Insights as an approved program for IDA. Great, Mike. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And thanks to all the listeners who stuck with us through this fascinating discussion. Remember, if you have any other questions, go to doors.org. Send us a note at info at doors.org. And thanks again for taking the time to join us today on the IDA DoorCast. This is Mike Fisher signing off from the Winding Bar Cafe. See you next time on the IDA DoorCast. Thank you for listening to the IDA DoorCast. Be sure to catch our next episode. For more information about IDA, visit doors.org. See you next time.